Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. Friends, we come to the end of reflection, and I'll be, I'll be very blatant and honest, my reflection on our mission statement, cultivate, grow, renew, and I hope in some capacity that what we have committed to as a congregation inspires you in your life, even if you see and understand those words in a different capacity. As we've celebrated 260 years and as we anticipate a future on the backside of a pandemic going into what is still a brand new century, hopefully we can find some hope and some energy for the days that are ahead. Today, I'd like to bring my reflections home in sort of a final bring it all together and see where this lands kind of a sermon. But I want to start by sharing a story. And I know my family has heard this story many times, so I offer my apologies to my wife and to my children. I can't remember if I've shared this story here, so if I've shared this story with you, um, please you just uh, you come back in like five minutes. All right, it'll be fine. Um, and if I... And <laughs> But maybe, just maybe, it's something that will speak to you. And it's a story that comes to me out of seminary as I think about Cultivate, Grove, Renew in a place like this. I'll never forget, I was getting towards the end of seminary, and the seniors, because there was a bunch of people just a couple years ahead of me, we had all piled into the cafeteria, and it was that time of the year, late in the school year, where the seniors were getting ready to be assigned In the Lutheran church, they're assigned to a region, and then from there, they go and seek a church in that particular region. And they get to say, well, I'd like to go here or there or whatever. So it was a very exciting time for our seniors as they prepared to set out and to find their first call. And so we sit down at lunch, and everybody's kind of talking about, you know, what that process is like, and how did your interview go, and have you heard anything yet? I mean, like we all do. And I remember this one girl, this one young lady sitting across from me, and I remember her just putting her elbow on the lunch table, going like this. We're all like, what's up with you? She goes, yeah, I'm probably going to get called to a rural church, and I hope I can get out of there as quickly as possible. My reaction, exactly. <laughs> like, all right, do the Christian thing, 1001, 1002, 1003. Tell me more about that. And she says to us all, she says, well, there's just nothing going on. There's so many problems. How in the world are you ever going to do anything that matters in a place like that? And friends, I'm telling you, from my personal spirit, that something tripped in me that day. I knew before then that I wanted to minister to rural churches. It always made sense to me. I was like, these people are my people. They don't always make sense. But even in the places y'all don't make sense, you kind of make sense. I kind of could figure that. So coming home to a place like this is where I've always wanted to do my ministry. And Jenny will tell you that from the day we got married, I said, I want to come back and minister to my folks. But on that day, somebody asked a really hard question. Because they asked a question of what it means to minister to people like me. Because my initial reaction was, wait a second, you know those rural people that say have nothing going on? That's my parents, and that's my grandparents, and they taught me how to have faith, and that's my wife, and that's my children who I'm trying to pass on faith to. I'm like, slow your roll there just for a second. So I did what you all just did, like, really? Somebody said, like, I got over that, and then started to ask myself, well, Sam, if you want to do this, then you better have an answer to the question that she posed. 
to the congregation. I'll, I'll ask you to withhold your offense for just a little bit and say, do we have an answer to that? Because perhaps, whether it's even here in this place, wider denominational circles, people who wouldn't ever come here if you paid them a million dollars to do so, let's be honest that there are many people who believe that places like this, if they haven't been left behind, will be soon. But here we are, in life and in death. And as, I began, as my rural church ministry began to unfold and I was, I was sent down a bunch of roads and started doing a bunch of reading, I tell you, that day something clicked in me. One of the places I went is I started reading a lot of Wendell Berry. And Wendell Berry said, what I stand for is what I stand on. And so I stand, on, I stand behind this pulpit. That's what I stand for. Let's think about this a little bit. Because it does us no good to, to vision the future for a church, to come up with a mission and vision, all of this kind of stuff, to do contemplative discernment of God's work in the world without starting with where we actually are. And where we are, for better or for worse, we are here. And we have considered our mission for three weeks, cultivate, grow, renew, and tried to paint a picture of what that mission might mean. And I find it, I hope that you have heard in my voice in the ways that I've talked about it, I find it to be a powerfully compelling uh, mission. I do. But friends, we're not all that special. Anybody could have picked up those words and run with them, right? Anybody could have said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody got on or stumbled across our website, saw it, grabbed it, and threw it on their own and said, this is what we're going to do. Cool. We have to ask a more specific question as we come to the end of our mission. What does it mean to be out here? What does it mean to be rural? What challenges do we face? What opportunities does it afford us? What does it mean for us to be right here in this moment? This moment that is so unique and odd in the church's history. And for all of our history, 260 years plus, This remains a relevant and urgent question for those God has gathered here at this moment. What are we doing here? And what might God be doing here? I searched and searched for my own words to try to figure out what I see the beauty of a rural church might be. And then I discovered, oh yeah, there's always somebody who said it better than you did. I found it in a surprising author. One my family is familiar with, me not so much. I found it in the words of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Laura Ingalls Wilder, of course, you know, wrote these beautiful but little house on the prairie, et cetera, et cetera. Beautiful, beautiful reflections on what it means to live, kind of like us sometimes in the middle of nowhere, wrote these words. We who live in quiet places have the opportunity to become acquainted with ourselves, to think our own thoughts, to live our lives in a way that is not possible for those keeping up with the crowd. We who live in quiet places have the opportunity to become acquainted with ourselves, to think our own thoughts, to live our lives in a way that is not possible for those keeping up with the crowd. Now, let's be honest, you and I don't live on the prairie. But she's on to something. She sniffed something out deep in my soul that might be in yours as well. The quiet places still have something to offer. The world on the margins, the quiet margins, offer us the opportunity for our own souls to be cracked open and reveal an inner world within us. And those quiet places can be either the rustling of a stream or the very echo of a cathedral. 
But it is in those spaces where we become acquainted with ourselves and with God. And it's in those places that we think a little more clearly and a little more originally. And we, on these margins, have an opportunity to think in quiet places, to become acquainted with ourselves, to think our own thoughts. This is a gift that we have out here. And so we do well when we stop and say, well, what do we do with this gift? What does it mean to be out here in the quiet spaces, on the margins? What does it mean to cut across the grain of the world? And instead of putting on a spectacle, rather, we offer stillness. What does it mean to be in the wilderness? When well, Scripture, wilderness, shows up regularly. Jesus goes to the wilderness often. The first thing Jesus does after he's baptized is go where? Into the middle of nowhere. When Jesus needs to pray, where does he go? To the middle of nowhere. But Jesus does this because his forebears had done the same thing, forced out of Egypt into the wilderness of Sinai. And in Scripture, wilderness is the place between. It is the place between slavery, the place where God is taking us from, but we're not yet at freedom, the place where God is taking us. In the wilderness for the Israelites, it is a place where there is no visible evidence of life-giving resources. If you've ever seen pictures of what the Middle Eastern wilderness looks like, there's not a lot of hope. There's not a lot of water, not a lot of food. Wandering around there for 40 years, you wonder, fellas, are we going to make it or not? It's hard. There's little evidence that you actually will make it. But what the commentators tell us is that wilderness more than any other place, is the launching pad for interaction with God. I love that notion, launching pad for interaction with God. Now, whatever Israel, whenever, whatever Israel is about to be is going to be born from the wilderness. God is not going to wait until they get to Canaan. Whatever God wants Israel to be, it will be born in the wilderness, in this in-between space. It'll be born on the margins. But as Laura Ingalls Wilder would tell us, just because God is active there doesn't mean that the wilderness is no guarantee of goodness. Wilderness, being on these margins, is spiritually volatile. There's a certain danger to it. If we know the story of the Exodus, as we said, right out of, they go right through the Red Sea. They're like, hey, we're free. And not a chapter later, they're going, fellas, we ain't got no food. God has abandoned us. He wants us to die. Wilderness is spiritually volatile. So there's no guarantee that just because we have the opportunity to go deeper, that we will. There's no guarantee that just because we have the opportunity to hear from God in unique ways doesn't mean that we will automatically do so. Neither does it mean that hearing from God will happen easily or even that we will arrive at good conclusions. But here in the wilderness, God is present and something might happen. And if the Israelites are vulnerable in that particular landscape, well, they are not alone. God is also vulnerable in this landscape because God shows up to them and says, here's what I've done for you and here's who I want to be for you. And he doesn't demand something from Israel. He invites them. He says, Israel, I want you to join me in this volatility, in this volatile space. Let's do this together. It is here in the wilderness that God makes his plea. You have seen what I did for Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You have seen what I've done for you. God is not asking for us a blind faith. God is saying, I need you to pay attention to what it is that I have done for you. 
God is asking for a faith that considers carefully and thoughtfully what God has already done, whether it's in this place or in the world. This is why the quiet of the wilderness is really important. It forces us to stop and say, well, how has God brought me to this place? It is a place for clarity, a place for time, a place where demands are low and stress can be high, which draws people to each other into community. And it's when God draws them to community that God makes the pitch. If you obey me and fully and keep my commandment, if, God says, if, if you do this, then you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will become something that has not been seen on the earth before. Each and every one of you with a place in this, peop- in this people, with a purpose, with clarity and meaning for your life. Come into the wilderness, God says, and here we will sort out together. We will hear from God and we will discern our path forward. It is the power and the promise of the wilderness. This is why, Belinda, thank you so much for bringing out Psalm 95. This is why we start with Psalm 95. It is both a promise of God's presence and a reminder of the volatility of the place where we live. Not everybody chooses to worship. Some choose another path. But God says, on this particular day, in this particular place, I'm calling you to come with me. So when people say that rural churches or a place like this is nothing but a wilderness, I say, you better believe it. Yes, it is spiritually volatile out here. It's hard out here. And we don't have to go far to find how hard it really is. We are not exempt from poverty, from a lack of access to basic human needs, connection to the wider world. I mean, goodness, half of us can't even get a half-decent cell service out here. And because of these incredible pressures in this wilderness, there is also, yes, that is much that is unhealthy. Let us call it what it is. It is sinful. Racism, bigotry, nationalism, you fill in your own ism. But friends, nevertheless, we have the opportunity, apart from the din of a screaming world, to, in the words of Laura Ingalls Wilder, become acquainted with our deepest selves and to think other thoughts. God's own thoughts, perhaps. For all that we risk, here too we also risk being a launching pad for interactions with God. From here, too, we can be part of a kingdom of priests, a quiet place where we can once again hear the trees whisper God's creativity and the corn nudging us about God's abundance and hearing the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Wait, me? Yes, you. And from this place, this quiet wilderness place on the margins, a place like this, we, can look, we might be able to look upon the world with the very eyes of God. Now, some folks, maybe some of you, might say to me, I don't believe the church can be that. And I'll be honest, I've had a long week, I'm tired, and sometimes I struggle with the question too. Can, we, can the church still fulfill that promise? There's a way in which the word church has lost so much meaning. It's been twisted by folks' experiences and twisted by pain, twisted by motives that were driven by anything else other than the kingdom of God. And so it's reasonable that when we say, let's build the next generation of church, what many people hear is anything but life-giving. Some of our folks will hear, 
You know, what they really want to do is build a religious factory. Build a big spiritual Walmart where you walk in, you get your spiritual good, it's prepackaged for you, no big deal, ain't got to think about it, go on your way, rock and roll. Other people will hear, well, it's just a family chapel. There's a small group of people, they just kind of want to do their own thing. We let them do their own thing on Sunday morning, and then we move on. Doesn't really hurt anybody, doesn't have, it, doesn't have much to offer. Sometimes we fall into an idea of just pure social activism and we look more like a political party than we do like a people worshiping God. Other times when we say, let's build a church, what we mean is a community center, which yes, does good in the world, but is there nothing more to what we do than just being good people? Each of these things seeking relevance, each of them trying to contribute positive, but all of them forged in the fires of consumerism, shaped to be marketed to a target audience. None of them forged in the spiritual crucible that is wilderness. None of them forged where we're at. But I might offer this morning one long-forgotten model that might be able to help us. When church is hard, there is yet a place for faith. One place, long forgotten because it seeks God, not influence. It got tossed out in the fires of iconoclasm and enlightenment. It got lost in the ascendancy of science and data. And yet, nevertheless, there's one model of a community of faith that is actually forged in the wilderness that remains rooted to mystery and one that looks an awful lot like the, like the image of Jesus Christ himself. And some of you will cringe when I say it. Some of you already know what I'm going to say. Maybe what we do out here on the margins ought to look more like a monastery. Some of you are like, oh great, there he goes with this cult thing again. No, stop. I like my robes, I'm not asking you to wear one of them. They're hot anyway, let's not do that. Even in winter, even winter this thing is hot. We're not looking to put on robes and limit our diets to roots and berries, no. But consider, those who sought the volatile experience of God went to the wilderness. They withdrew into the deserts. They withdrew into the forest. They went on to the edges of society, and there they sought God with Laura Ingalls Wilder's kind of clarity and discipline of life. This is why, again, the, all the monastic liturgies, from which the one that we've written is, is, is drawn, that's why the monastic liturgies all start with Psalm 95. They said, you're in a wilderness, you're in a volatile place, remember where you are, and remember what to what you are called. But here, knowing the volatility of that place, they shared a core spiritual life that informed every other part of their lives. And slowly and surely, as they sought Jesus and sought the cross, there was a community that sprung up around these people who just devoted themselves to prayer all day. Folks flocked from everywhere to come, not to the busy centers of a, of a major town or a city. No, they went out into the wilderness saying, something weird, something mysterious, something beautiful is happening out there away from everything else. And they flocked to come to the quiet, to seek God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it became a community that sought to call others to a similar life of depth and purpose. Yes, they had Sunday worship, but Sunday worship wasn't all of it. It was a central event in what was a living, thriving, beautiful community. And there is a case that if you look over history, not just did these places that were about deep spirituality, not only did they hold together and remain some of the most um, some of the oldest institutions we have in the world, there are, there's some historical argument to be made that they saved the world, at, very, at the very least saved Western civilization many times over. Not because they were activists, but because they prayed. And that prayer helped them figure out where to go. 
When I think about cultivate, grow, renew, when I think about a mission in the world, what are we called to do? That's what comes to my mind. And forgive me if I'm a little too personal about this this morning. And forgive me if I'm taking a little bit of my own opinion and sort of sticking it in the middle of a sermon. But that's the kind of church that I believe in. And I believe that because I believe in the specialness of places like this. That we're out here on the wilderness and that's great. That's special. That's a gift of God. To be out here not seeking relevance by spectacle and cheap faith, but living into a quiet and a community that nourishes souls. To be a sanctuary in the wilderness, an enchanted place where in the quiet, calm rhythms of our lives, we discover how enchanted, how beautiful our lives are and how extraordinary our God is. And if you need a visual reminder of this, consider this place. My online folks, sorry. But consider this place that we gather in. I've not talked to a soul who's ever wandered into this sanctuary who did not say, it's a beautiful space and there's something here. You know what I mean? You would describe it in words differently than that. But there's something going on here. Now, all of us together would say, well... That's wonderful, but we would also say that God is not limited to a building, right? Our theology says that on the cross, the curtain was torn top to bottom. God is no longer confined to the limits of a sanctuary. God is found now in the human heart. We understand all this. But we come here, not because this is the only place God is, but we come here because it is a reminder. It is a whisper in the wilderness, something that doesn't give itself up easy. I mean, it's not even the first church on the road for crying out loud. But tucked back here in a little corner of a little neighborhood is a place that reminds us that not everything in this world is a big box store. It's a place out here that reminds us that not everything in the world is talking heads. There's a little place out here that just whispers to us not everything in this world is about punching a clock and getting a paycheck. Out here, there's a quiet place that whispers mystery. There's more going on here than you thought. There's more going on in you than you ever imagined. And it beckons us, doesn't it, to follow. Isn't that what we mean when we come in here and say there's something about this place? It calls to us. In other words, it is a sanctuary, a place of rest, healing, provision, and challenge. We've been talking about our mission for four weeks. The one thing we haven't talked about is our vision. And isn't it so interesting that the vision you all selected is to be a sanctuary, to be the place, not in the middle of it all, but out away from it all. We're safe and loved, cared for, and called to go deep. So friends, let us build the next generation of this church. We give thanks for 260 years. Yes, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's informed us, and it has handed down faith to us to this day. And now they lay, this, they lay this challenge upon us. What do we do today? We're not turning it into a monastery, but maybe there's something that can inform us and help us think about what the world needs. The world needs places like this. The world has enough big box stores. The world has enough spectacle. What the world needs is places of deep meaning. And we have the opportunity to offer the world the quiet rhythms of scripture, sacrament, prayer. We have an opportunity out here on the margins to offer a life swirling with the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. 
We have an opportunity out here on the margins to listen carefully and discover that we can be a place alive with God's redemptive power. Yes, a place that grows and develops just because you're on the wilderness. The Israelites grew in the wilderness, so will we. It's all good. But here we have a place for us to discover God and discover ourselves. And so as we bring this time to a close, I'd like to offer a prayer, again, that Belinda already prayed for us. She didn't know she was praying. She thought she was doing the readings. But I'd like to offer you this prayer, this prayer that Paul prays in the book of Colossians, a mystical, challenging prayer. Paul never front loads his prayers with needs because he knows that those needs are built upon something even deeper, a faith connected to Jesus Christ and his cross that is redeeming the whole world. And so, friends, I pray that you would hear this prayer for us and for what God would have for us in the days ahead. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to God who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I invite you to consider with me as we close that prayer. Amen. Let it be so.